weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Every week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau meet in the sub-sub-basement of Regina City Hall, where they write reports, make recommendations, follow policy, and save off dehydration by collecting condensation from the pipes in the boiler room. One day, maybe, they'll escape from the endless maze of that basement. But until then, there are improvements to make, and the city's not going to improve itself. This meeting is now in session. Hey. Oh, hey. How are you doing? Oh, great. Yeah. Where were you last week? Um, you know, I went on a wander. Went on a bit of a walkabout. Wow. Did, yeah. you, did you come to any grand conclusions? I did. Uh, walking about is boring as hell. It is. It yeah. really is. Yeah, I want to get a car. Nice. Yeah. Wait, wait. And, and you know, the more people in the city drive, the better. Yep. Yeah. Just more fumes, more gas, more... Yep, more you'll car. have more time. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yep, you'll have... Sitting down. Didn't get enough sitting down time when I was on walkabout. Exactly. Because apparently you're supposed to be walking when you're on walkabout. That's, yeah. What you want to do is, like, just keep seated. Yeah. You want to be able to, like, pull up to a window... Get fast food, yep. throw the garbage out the window, and yell at people. Every time I right. tried to sit down on my walkabout, my life coach would be like, "Get up! You need get a better, up! You need a you need a life coach that understands your needs yep. to your needs to sit all the time." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking about getting a driving instructor next time. Hey, nice. Yeah. yeah they don't they don't ask much. Well, no. they do have like really unreasonable standards about like rules of the road. Yeah. yeah. But I figured they would have like that little like break on their side, so if I decided to take a nap, oh nice, everything would be fine. Okay, yeah. that sounds great. Uh, should we take attendance? Sure. All right. Um, our first attendee uh, is Dosh Plentz. Mister mm. Dosh Plentz. Nobody's claiming the name Dosh Plentz. Well, uh, well, if you remember that, remember the big housing crash that rocked the, like the globe back in two thousand eight. Yes. Well, Dosh. boy, howdy, do I know I live in the sub-basement of City Hall. <laughs> That's right. Well, Dosh does not remember it because really? he's from an alternate dimension where the great financial crash never happened. Really? Yeah. What's it like there? Well, for one, everybody wears silver jumpsuits, which, Ooh. yeah, I mean, great futuristic stuff. There's moving sidewalks. Yeah. And uh, the last remnants of humanity live on the moon because apparently the Earth has been, like, annihilated by an endless nuclear war. Oh, darn. Yeah. And I guess the planets don't irradiate hellhole, and uh, they eat out a bare shadow of existence. They eat uh, algae, and, um, and they're dying out from a combination of despair and something they call moon fever. Huh. So, oh, but... Anyway, silver jumpsuits. Silver jumpsuits and moving sidewalks. Yeah. And, and uh, Dosh is in tonight to... Uh, he's going to tell us about his new book, which is called, I have it here, Sensible Global Financial Planning Without the Nuclear War. Oh. Yeah, which uh, sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Sign me up. I don't see him here, though. Oh, darn. Well, I hope he didn't succumb to, like, radiation sickness or, or anything. moon fever. Or moon yeah. fever. Um... Hold on a sec. Uh, now that I look, I think I, I think I've mixed up the letters in his name. Yeah. Uh, so Dosh, let's take the P from Plenty. Oh, should be Paul Deshen. Oh, that's me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I'm here. Mark me down. Mark you down. Okay. Thank you, you know, one day I, I'm I'm beginning to become aware that I seem to be mixing up the letters of our names quite a bit. 
Oh, I hadn't noticed. Oh, okay. <laughs> very well. Okay, well, I I I feel responsible from now on, starting right now. Okay. The dumb anagrams are ha- they have to stop. Okay, don't beat yourself up. Uh, beat yourself up about it. No, I'm just I'm just making a vow to you right now. No more dumb anagrams. Okay, good. Our next attendee is Mag Ondiron. No, <laughs> no. I don't think anybody's claiming Mag Ondiron. Uh, well, he uh, he arrived on the shores of America in 1953. Uh, it says here with a dream in his heart and a very bad sense of direction because he actually landed in France. Um, oh, France is nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mag, Mag, it is nice. Um, but Mag did not let that stop him from his dream, which was to become, and I quote here, the Melamine King of America. Yeah. Uh, Mag loved Melamine. Uh, he loved Melamine products. He even consumed small amounts of Melamine daily. Right. For like what he claimed were medicinal effects. Oh, to make himself Melamine immune? Melamine immune, yeah. I mean, from, his, from assassins who would no doubt try to kill right. him with Melamine. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the, but uh, apparently he was not successful. The French didn't uh, like his high-pressure sales tactics, his insistence on speaking English in a Midwestern accent, and and also the, uh, the really low quality, apparently, of his melamine products. Yeah, he, oh, no. He cheaped out on the melamine. Um, and he never made it to America. He died in 1987. Oh. Apparently it was melamine poisoning. <laughs> yeah. So apparently that didn't work. No, apparently melamine is really toxic. Uh, Darn. And it was only his like incredible constitution that kept him alive that long. Right. Um, anyway, he's uh, probably not going to make it tonight then. No, no, on account of being dead. Right, right. Kind <laughs> of, that kind of keeps you from from showing up to meetings. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lucky guy. You know, yeah. I have a feeling that if we died, they'd probably still drag us here. Yeah, yeah. Just you've got a job to do. They'd say. Um, but now that I look. And you'll have to forgive me. I know I made a, a promise to you, but I think I've mixed up the letters. Oh, no. Uh, should I... Yeah, that's my... Aiden Morgan. That's you. Oh. Yeah, you're Aiden oh, Morgan. I thought I recognized you. Yeah, me. and oh, you're right. present? I am present. I, so that means we can have a meeting. Well, and do we have quorum? We do not have quorum, okay. no. Okay. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's talk... Let's, uh, let's get on with uh, talking to our... our our special guest for yeah. the evening. Our, so, an, an improvement vector, I believe. Yes. yes. <laughs> certified. Verified, certified. Yeah. yeah, official improvement vector, Addison Doherty. Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Well, man, how are you doing? Very good. So, Addison, you are from the YMCA of Regina, and you were the pit count coordinator for yes. Regina. Yes. You know, we talked about the pit count a lot at the Queen City Improvement Bureau, but just on the off chance that, you know, somebody in the city, maybe they're here for Congress. Mm. And they're listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau for the first time. What was the pit count? The pit count is a point in time count. So pit stands for, it's an acronym for point in time count uh, of homelessness. So essentially what we did was we uh, recruited a bunch of volunteers to uh, go out into designated areas of the city or designated areas of location, designated locations in the city. And they would ask anybody that they saw uh, during an 8 to 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. time period uh, about their housing situation, their housing needs. So we offered a survey that asked some demographic questions and, um, and to figure out how many people uh, at that point in time were uh, without a permanent residence uh, and without a permanent residence to return to. Right. And so that was April 18th. And I understand you guys have, like, some data. Yeah. 
Yeah. We do have some data, yeah. So what we found uh, on April 18th was that we there's two parts of it. There's an enumeration, and then I uh, I don't know if I mentioned it in my little preamble there, but there was also a survey. So in terms of the enumeration, we enumerated uh, 286 uh, people that night that were uh, either staying um, in a shelter or a transitional housing facility uh, were categorized as hidden homeless, so people that don't have a permanent residence of their own or one to return to or and are temporarily like couch serving with friends and family. Then we had a couple of people that were uh, that identified they'd be sleeping in a public space, a park, bench, uh, or like a makeshift shelter. Uh, then we had um, a handful of folks that uh, were homeless or didn't have a permanent residence to return to and didn't even know at that point in time uh, where they were going to be staying that night, which is kind of crazy to think about because it's at, it's at 8 p.m., you know, that's yeah. uh, that's pretty wild. And then uh, we had four people, I think, yeah, a small amount say that they were going to stay at like a hospital or a detox or something like that. So I think the breakdown was like there was like 172 people that we found in shelters and then 86 people um, that were categorized as hidden homeless and then there was six people staying uh, that identified staying in a public space 18 that didn't know where they were staying and didn't have anywhere to return to and then there was four that were the folks that said they were staying in a public space which is pretty wild to think it's a lot of people to find in three hours that was a um that was a cold night too to be like staying in a public space or to not know where you're going to be staying at that point yeah no yeah and the night before it snowed yeah you know, so we were like the night before it snowed uh, pretty heavily, and it was very cold and slushy. And I was hanging out with uh, my project consultant, Dagan Harding, who was like, the pit count coordinator in 2015. And we were admittedly like pretty, like a like not a, you don't want to find people, obviously, but you want an accurate number. And we were like, oh man, if it's like if it's going to be this gross out tomorrow night, we're we're pooch. Like, do we even bring the volunteers out? Right? Like that's people's. Yeah precious time but we're not to say that we're lucky but we are lucky that like it did manage to like dry up it was still pretty cold like then i should say that we're grateful for the volunteers and for still showing up and uh donating their time because we really really appreciate it yeah um uh, so we're the queen city improvement bureau on 91.3 fm cjtr regina community radio and we're talking with addison doherty from the ymca about the homelessness point in time count um so the people who were enumerated, there were also a bunch of people who were surveyed right. within the numbers who were enumerated. Yeah, I mean, right. What did, what did you find out there? Or is it too early to say? Well, I can I can, I can give you guys a little bit of a tidbit, I guess. Oh, yeah, I, I have to get a scoop? Yeah, you guys, you guys can get Ooh. the scoop. Uh, yeah, so we enumerated 286, like I said, and we actually got, uh, once we sifted through all of the surveys, uh, getting rid of duplicates, because there were some people that were... Some groups were stationed pretty close. You're going to catch the same people. So once we got rid of duplicates and whatnot, um, we, we we surveyed 155 people. So we surveyed uh, just over, what is the actual number? I have it here on a piece of paper. We surveyed, yeah, 54% of the 286 that we found. So right. we're really, again, it always sounds with a grain of salt, kind of like we're not happy to found that many, but we're happy that we could kind of get a... Uh, uh, a sample size a little bit bigger than what we did in 2015. So uh, the, it was it was essentially um, some of the results. Obviously, were things that we expected. We expected a uh, a high 
Indigenous and First Nations, Métis, uh, Inuit rate. That, that, that trend stayed similar. Um, in terms of like the, the gender breakdown, um, it was pretty even. Male fe- m- more females were obviously in the sheltered just because of uh, there's more just uh, family violence shelters and women that, uh, have, that are fleeing domestic violence. Uh, and whatnot, there's more emergency shelters for them. And then in terms of, like, the street count and people that were, like, hidden homeless, it was predominantly uh, predominantly dudes. And then um, right now we're kind of just analyzing and looking at, like, well, some of the reasons that people were... Uh, one of the questions that we asked in the survey, I should say that, is we asked, you know, what, what, were, what were people most... What was the reason for people's uh, most recent homelessness sent? And... Uh, we weren't necessarily surprised with that either, but it was basically like the top five are like addictions and substance abuse, uh, conflict with spouse or partner, unable to pay um, rent or mortgage, experience uh, abuse by a spouse or partner, or unsafe housing conditions were the, the top five. I think the most interesting thing to me going through the data is like looking at some of the barriers you know because it's like those are the reason that people lost their house but they're obviously like why someone loses their housing is a little bit different than uh, what the barriers are yeah right so like the the ma- the highest barrier was that rent is too high in the city yeah right right so immediately when we looked at that it was kind of one of those things that like we hadn't done a cross-examination of any of our own data but like there, there was a report a while ago about the vacancy rates in Regina skyrocketing and they're even higher in Saskatoon. Yeah. So it's like the 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 market won't necessarily correct itself. So I think that we're like looking at this like, hey, like something something more needs to be done and understanding also that like it's more it's a more complicated situation than like, okay, there's houses that are vacant. Let's fill them with people that don't have homes, right? It's it's I understand that that issue is a little bit more intricate. Like it's more there needs to be a little bit more of a nuanced discussion, but like I think in terms of like there being, you know, doing this research that I do, it's like the the housing market in Regina essentially like defies basic logic. Su- yeah, <laughs> well, basic supply and demand principles. There's a surplus of vacant housing, but the prices are not coming down. Yeah. No, and like I talked about this last time I was on here when you guys had me on, just recruiting volunteers. But it's like it's hard to like it's hard to live even if you have. A, a job, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, that's why I said I think the, the issue of homelessness resonates with a lot of people because they know how big of a struggle it is. Like, it's a, it costs a lot of money to to live in Regina, but so yeah, now we're just kind of like we're looking at stuff like uh, just going through some of the figures in terms of like how many people used. We asked questions about like um, how many people used emergency rooms, how many people had interaction with police, how many people had uh, been to jail or prison or had been hospitalized because we kind of have an estimate of what those a day costs, right? So you can figure out, like, maybe what the, what, what is the cost of homelessness, like, just for those 286 people that we found. Right. And I think it goes, it's important to note that there are limit, there are certainly limitations to the pit count, right? Like, someone could have heard that we're giving away, we gave away gift cards for their time, and they could have came and filled out a, right? So we take a lot of, yeah. like, there's a, certain things you can't really account for. But there's also, like, the limitations of it also, like, are really interesting, because you found... 286 people in three hours. Yeah. You know, and like the analogy that I used with someone to, to explain like the difficulty in that is like if I gave you, if I told you, if I went to your place and I was like, you have 10 minutes to find all the change in your house. You know, like you're going to go to the yeah. spots that you think you know, or you're going to check the couch cushions and you're going to go jacket pockets. You know, but you're not going to really get 
everywhere, right? But you're going to probably find something because you know yeah. generally where to look. So, like, in a pit count, it's kind of similar to that, right? You go to the places that you think people are congregating and whatnot, but it certainly doesn't, like, get you in all the nooks and crannies of where all the people are. Is it, like, more than 286? Maybe. It could actually be, like, on a different day, a little bit less, right? Like, so it's yeah. just one of those things you got to kind of take, like, uh, it's, it's just literally a snapshot. So... I'm not sure in terms of like what the methodology is or like what the moving forward like how you get it so it's more of a comprehensive but I think that's more of a community planning thing that's going to have to happen once like the planet and homelessness comes to fruition. Right. Um, have you gotten any feedback yet? Like you guys released these preliminary numbers already. Have you heard anything back from you know the wider uh, um, the housing first group, the uh, the the planned end homelessness group? Like, what are, they, what are you hearing about uh, the response to the numbers? Well, I, it's interesting because, uh, like, the why... So the why was the... I think it was on the contract. We don't do housing first, but we were the ones right. that did, like, the consultation and the community consultation for it, and we... Someone applied for the contract. So Phoenix Homes, I think, yeah. does housing first. But in, it's kind of like, you know... Um, in 2015, for example, there was 232, and they did like a shelter and a street count. And like just considering uh, shelter and street count in 2015, there was about 200 people, right? And we ha- and then yeah. we we can't correlate for sure, but we have like there's like 36 people right now that are in housing first. So you can't say like for sure that those people would have been counted, you know, in the street count to bring it up to 232. But like we got a higher number this year because of. Um, because of uh, the the hidden homelessness piece that we included, but in terms of like the plant and homelessness group, I think yeah. that like um, I don't think anyone's surprised. I think like I think that's I think hidden homelessness is more common than people think. And like you know, we asked like one of the questions we asked like in the past year, have you stayed in an emergency shelter? Have you slept rough? Which is like parks, whatever. Been to detox? Have you couch surfed? Have you been hidden homeless or stayed? Yeah, and. More the more the majority of the people, uh, the most people had actually in the last year couch surf than anything else, right? So like, but a lot of people did everything. It goes to show that there's like a very, like it's a very transient, it's a very transient lifestyle. So in terms of like the numbers for the plan, I think that like getting that hidden homeless piece, it, it's a higher number. So people are going to immediately go, like, wow, there's like that many more homeless people in Regina than were in 232. The methodology is a little bit different, so you can't compare the numbers like exactly. Um, but I think getting the hidden homeless numbers was good, though, because if you're going to make a plan to end homelessness, you also need to know how many people might be hitting the shelters, right? Because t- typically, like, if you lose your residence, the first person, the first, if you have that resource, you're going to be going to family and friends, right? Then you maybe you exhaust that, then you go to the shelters, and then you exhaust that. And then worst case scenario is you're staying on the street. So, like, figuring out that 86 is key to figuring out how many people might be... Uh, uh, hitting the shelters because for the planet and homelessness, it's not you can't stop homelessness. Like I like if I if I'm bad at saving, and I'm also bad at my job, and I get fired and I lose my housing, like no one can stop that from happening, right? But it's a matter of like, okay, I hit the sh- I hit the shelter. How long of a time does it take me to actually like get to a permanent housing residence with some? assistance in the meantime so like that's kind of like what uh those numbers help to kind of get a grasp of like how many people might be in and out well i think too like asking a lot of those questions about like how did you wind up in a homelessness situation um for 
policymakers for people who are dealing with like larger questions of housing and that question of excuse me why is the Regina housing market so screwy and not responding to supply and demand this gives them a flag that you know these are the pressures that you know we're either creating or we're not fixing that are leading to these numbers on homelessness that we're getting yeah you know? Yeah, I know for sure. It's really like it's just yeah. I I don't. The answer I think is like just like a change in attitude. Yeah. I think a little bit, but it's also like I think it ends up becoming like a philosophical discussion on like what's just important in life. You know what I mean? Not not just in terms of like homelessness and whatnot, but it's a, it's a matter of like actually thinking like, hey, what creates like a happy life? Like, do we actually want people to not have it? Like, I think our idea of like what a home looks like is maybe a little bit too extravagant almost you know what a happy yeah. life looks like and i think that like we build all these homes but i don't know if we need all of them if that makes sense like we could be doing a lot of things to be providing affordable housing but like if you're the issue is that like we live in like a, a paradigm of like where you need to make a lot of money and I, i'm not like dismantling this by any means that i'm saying we that's like yeah. that's the game that we're playing Right, so like, like it's hard for people to just like change their attitudes immediately about like, okay, like if I'm putting a bunch of money into something, like I want to get something out of it because that's like what we're taught to do our whole lives. Yeah. You know, so I don't necessarily blame anybody because everybody's a product of their environment. You know, you got I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but I do think at a certain point, like it just becomes like ridiculous. Like it's just like okay, like at what point do as a culture as like a society not just homelessness but like all these kind of issues in general is it you kind of come to like a point where you're like is it worth you know like like the the human spirit and human dignity even you know like you have people that are like living like such drastically different lives and we have the resources and the intellectual capacity to solve a lot of these issues and i think that part of the issue too is that like we're very short-sighted you know, and the things that we do, like if you look at housing first and some of the numbers from like the first year, like there's cost savings, right? But I think I was talking to this with like my boss, Sean Frazier. I think part of it is that like when you look at these policymakers, it's that like they all, they're all on four year budget cycles, right? And we were like, maybe they need, they need to make a, like a separate longitudinal social budget, yeah. right? That doesn't impact because it's like, it's not like they're just trying to do what they can, you know, in that four years to like make themselves look presentable and like, I don't like, I don't know if I wouldn't do the same thing if I was in their position because that's the game that they're playing but like we do need to figure out like this isn't working like let's work together to figure out something that works best for like different groups because I think there is a hybrid model probably that works I'm not sure what it is but there's got to yeah. be something yeah well thanks for that Addison mm-hmm. but we actually have to move on to the next item on our agenda I'm sorry and, uh, yeah if, could you uh, leave that paper that you brought because we, uh, we, we we're running out of paper we're running out of paper down here and uh, we use it for pillows um, <laughs> all, all sorts of things sometimes to write on yeah sometimes we write our reports on the back of other reports or right. in between yes. the lines yeah of other reports. that's yeah. why we wrote that report about the importance of double spacing reports yes <laughs> so that we would be able to write in the, uh, that, the spaces uh, that was a little difficult to read because we wrote it on a page that had already been like typed on in single space right yeah so it was very small. Very, very, very small. Yes, very, very small font. Yeah. So um, the next item on the agenda, though, is the innovative revenue tools. That is correct. Where we talk about tools that are innovative. For revenue, right. That will generate revenue for right. the city. Um, do you guys got any? I Off the top of my head, no, but I'll, you go first I, and I'll think of something. Okay. Well, okay. well my, uh, my innovative revenue tool has to do with homelessness. 
I was inspired mm. by oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here we go. Um, it's a serious problem, and we need revenue to address the issue. Uh, unfortunately, the homeless population, as, as a rule, don't generate a lot of revenue themselves, so we need to find revenue elsewhere. Mm. Uh, and I noticed, uh, like you talked about counting and enumerating the homeless population, but you failed to mention uh, cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> which I was a little shocked, frankly, because that's uh, that's very important. Because um, I've been reading about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and so forth, and it seems to me that it's a way to turn anything at all like into like amazing, fabulous wealth beyond your wildest dreams. My is that my right? Yeah, I'm pretty oh, sure okay. that's what it is. Uh, so, uh, at any rate, Streetcoin is the newest crypto that will literally turn any homeless person you meet into money. <laughs> really? Yes. How, and how exactly does it do that? C crypto. Um, <laughs> uh, the blockchain. Uh, that's. I, I did a lot of reading. It's it's really as far as I I, I don't have a full understanding of it, but yeah, that's that's how it's going to work. All right. Uh, you just uh, you know you just befriend somebody and just take them along to stores with you, and uh, I, I think I think if they accept Bitcoin, they'll accept Streetcoin. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a sounds very innovative. <laughs> yes. You got you got anything else? No, I'm, I was I that I was trying to think of something, and then as he was explaining that, I was like, I spent most of that time trying to wrap my head around where he was going. I think we all are. <laughs> yeah. Still. So what do you got? I, I I've got nothing, uh, but I do have some that are recorded that I can oh. play oh, right now. Let's, let's hear these yeah. ones. All right, hang on. Ah, sorry, I hit the wrong button. Now we've got like everything's playing. Everything all at once. Everything is all playing all at once. Hang on, there we go. We're all better. Back. Everything is back <laughs> to normal. Uh, so yeah, uh, so that just a warning uh, for music and stuff. I have this new eight-track player that I'm using tonight, wow. and uh, I friggin' hate it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, they are, I mean, they're so, eight tracks are so new and cutting edge, uh, yeah. to the best of my understanding, that yeah. uh, I, can, I can see why you're having some, like, growing pains. Yeah. The technology will work itself out. So anyways, we're back from Innovative Revenue yeah. Tools. We didn't have a Regina fact this week. I'm yeah, sorry about what, that. That's my fault. What's happened to Kenton? Uh, I think I erased the eight track. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And, but, he, but we're he, back. He is an eight track, so you may have erased Kenton himself. I may have. Yes. Yeah. So we were just doing uh, innovative revenue tools. Uh, Addison, y y you said you might have one now? Yeah, I just thought of one. And I'm, okay. the more I think about it, the more I'm losing confidence <laughs> in it. But you know, when you like, you have this like, money laying on the ground and it's mm -hmm. attached, all of my innovative revenue tools have to do with finding people. Okay. So you know, there's like money on the ground that you attach to a string and somebody grabs it and yeah. you, they pull it, you pull it away and they chase well, it. Most often, yeah. If they go for it, you find them for greeting it, you find them for being greedy. Oh, nice. I like that. Just nice. like you're greedy. I and like that a lot. Yeah, you lose money. Like, yeah, you thought you're getting something, you're giving something. Yeah, yep. you went yeah. out of your way to s take that money. You're, you're greedy, and yeah. uh, we're gonna find you. Yeah. I don't know what the fine would be, but for some reason, I just think that we should just have a like a, a collection basket just floating around. Nice. Right. So sort of like at the Cathedral Village Arts Festival where they have like a donations tin. Yeah, you could just send out donation tins. Yeah, yeah, just like 
Or like a church, like a donation. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, for sure. I don't and know if that would work. I, I actually think this would actually com like compound because you could say, you're greedy, give me 20 bucks, which would be followed up almost instantly by, hey, you just hit me, like another 30. And then, oh, you hit me again, and now you're chasing me down the street. That's 50 bucks, sir. Mm. I like this. Yeah. Mm. We are like... We're just like innovative revenue tools tonight. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's an IRT fire. What are some of your guys' best ones you think you've had so far? Oh. You don't mind me asking. Oh, I don't know. Do we have time for that? Oh, Probably no. not. Hey? No, we got time for everything. We we've got half an hour. So um. What? Well, we got stuff. We got stuff. We have other things on the agenda. Do we? But I actually had an innovative revenue tool for tonight. Did you? Yeah. Let's Did you know that the Congress of the Humanities is going on right now here in Regina? Yeah. So that's like the big conference where like all of the humanities people come from all over uh, the country to talk about the mm -hmm. humanities. And I was thinking, you know, you've got all these like humanities people coming to Regina. And you know what Regina doesn't like? Humanity? No, trouble. No, it they doesn't don't like trouble, trouble, does it? Does no, it not, they do not we, like trouble. We don't want any and trouble, you know, one of those things that like the humanities people like to do, they like to trouble ideas. Mm. We don't want that. We don't, we don't want the so trouble should. Milk. Right, so I think we should find them for troubling things. Also, we don't want to deconstruct anything. No. <laughs> we are really happy with where everything is. If anything, we want to construct more stuff. Precisely. Especially on the fringe of the city, <laughs> towards yeah. our infinite horizon. We don't want any of that deconstructing. So right. when they try to deconstruct something at Congress, I say we find them. Nice. Yep. Have yeah. you been going to Congress? I haven't been going to Congress. You have not been going. Have you? No. I, I have not. I have been. I've been. Uh, I've been out of town actually, so I've not been. Yeah. I've never heard of Congress before, but apparently it's a pretty big deal. It is it's the biggest confidence. Er, confidence. Biggest confidence scheme we've ever <laughs> seen in this. No, the biggest uh, conference I think that Regina's ever hosted. So oh, that's pretty lit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, yeah. it's pretty. Yeah, there's how many people? It's huge. Gigantor, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know, and. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't even guess how many people there are. So you heard it here first. Yep. We don't know and we can't guess. <laughs> and we don't really care. <laughs> Anyways, um, the uh, the other thing that we had to talk about tonight is uh, before I disappeared last week, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I spent half a day uh, around town in a wheelchair as part of Spinal Cord Injury Regina's uh, chair leaders uh, fundraiser. I don't know if you knew this. I was like typing up cheerleaders into Google to find out, you know, data on cheerleaders, what it's all about. And it said, do you mean cheerleaders? And I was like, holy crap, I finally got the pun. Hey! Google, I've been like, Google fixed, yeah. the, fixed it for you. So, yeah. So, yeah, I did that. That was uh, last Wednesday. And uh, I did some interviews and I chatted with some people and I rode the bus and I have a little bit of audio from that. We can play right now. Oh, I want to hear it. Okay, here we go. I've already broken my chair. Yeah, I know. I just, I can't get used to this. Which way do I turn the wheels okay. to turn which direction? So basically, it... You want to turn the wheel the opposite way. So if you're turning left, you're going to turn the right wheel. Okay. You'd think I would. That would make sense, right? Okay, got it. You got one here, so don't. Okay. All right. So. Stop. <laughs> You'll get it. I promise. Okay. And what you can do to stop is just hold your tires. Too. 
Okay. So I want to turn left. All right. Okay, can I get your name? Kristen Drummond. Kristen, um, so you've been in a wheelchair your whole life? Yes, I have cerebral palsy, so I've been using a wheelchair technically since I was six. Okay. And do you use a walker as well? I do. Um, in my case, I am able to walk very short distances, so I use a walker around my home. Right. Um, so you would know really well, like, how accessible Regina is. Like, how how do you feel the city does on that? I feel the city does uh, quite well, but there are definitely some improvements that need to be made. Like what? Um, sidewalks, for example. Some sidewalks in certain areas of the, of the city don't always have a curb cut, for example, in a convenient location. So you have to go further down the sidewalk to access the, access the curb cut, for example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What else? Um, in some cases, it's more so, uh, I know parking can be an issue, accessible parking. I personally don't drive, but my coworker does. So that's something that he deals with on a daily basis. And then also just, um, and it's more so maybe with businesses as opposed to the city as a whole, um, the accessibility of, of buildings, for example. Some businesses don't have, for example, the automatic automatic doors or the push button. So right. it's a little harder or their washrooms aren't as um, accessible as what they could be. Okay, so I'm going to be taking transit today. Do you take public transit at all? I actually take paratransit. I'm not brave enough to take the low floor buses because I personally am not strong enough to get up the, ra- the, lo- the ramps for the buses, but I know I have several clients that do and several friends that do. Uh, how about paratransit? Like, uh, I understand that they've made some like changes to the uh, to the service recently. Like, how do you feel the service is these days? I I feel that the service has improved quite a bit. Um, for example, they have a system where you can sign up and it'll remind you of when your buses are, so that reduces the amount of you know no shows things like that. Also. I um, In some cases, it has become a little bit easier to get a trip without having to book the bus as far ahead ahead in advance as as what we used to have to do. Right. So if you want to go anywhere, you have to, like, plan pretty far ahead, Yes. Typically for myself, if I want to go somewhere, I typically plan about... Um, Pardon me. About a week ahead. uh, No less than about three days ahead. Just to try, because even if I'm not using paratransit, you still have to book the accessible taxis in advance. In in many cases, or in order to ensure that you get your trip that you want. So. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and thanks for the coaching. (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm. I hope it helps for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. All right. Let's see. Okay, so you, you've done this before, Councillor Fendura? I should have, yes. Yeah. So my it was quite experience with, um, especially playing uh, tennis in a wheelchair. Then I went, I played um, the little little curling in a wheelchair. Yeah. Right, and trying to maneuver through a uh, office space and trying to use the washroom and like again, I'm going through uh, tight spaces where, like, f- for me, if I couldn't get somewhere, I, I could probably just get out of my chair and, and, and walk, right? Yeah. But the individual that is tied to the chair is very difficult. So as a society, we need to really look forward to and look to the future, how we make sure that society will, uh, we look after one another, because we all, uh, as a community, uh, should be thinking about, not just me, but...
for the first time. Yeah. Oh, this is... Okay, I got it. Right on. And another one. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Six. 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 Okay. Yeah, we should have another one over here. There we go. You are in. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Break on? Uh, no. Thanks for the heads up. How long have you been in a wheelchair? Uh, it'll be 11 years in July. The, the novelty for me wore off pretty quickly. I found it a lot of fun while we were in the mall, but the minute I had to get around the city, I found that I was like, okay, this is a pain in the ass, <laughs> trying to get around in, in the downtown and stuff. Um, how, how, do you, how do you find it getting around the city of Regina? Well, your pain in the ass statement could be a little bit of an understatement sometimes. Yeah. Having said that, uh, Regina has come a long ways uh, in the 11 years that that I've been hurt. Um, there, there is still the barriers there, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, some of the cutouts in the sidewalks are horrendous, and like you saw that firsthand. So it's stuff like that. But um, there's a lot more buildings that are starting to become more accommodating for for those of us that use mobility aids. Um, it, it's getting better, but as you can see, lots of room for improvement. Yet. So my arms feel like rubber, and uh, there was, uh, I was commiserating with Councillor Fendura about this, but there's like a, uh, you go down this curb cut on Rose in Victoria, and then you get hung up on like a heaving piece of asphalt, and I had to use like my, my stomach muscles and my legs to pull myself forward like how do you like how do you get across something like that if you're just using your arm strength uh well for me personally i'm fortunate enough to still have a little bit of my my core function and a little bit use of my legs um for some of us we just we just adapt you know um i didn't learn how to use these muscles right away so i i learned the hard way to figure it out right so um Everybody's kind of got their own their own way to get to get things done. Hi, my name is Brad Bells. I'm the director of Regina Transit. Uh, well, where I wanted to start talking to you about all this is like, what kind of training do the drivers get uh, so that they can be this good at what they're doing? As far as training, um, the overall training for a brand new operator with us is a five-week training process, but that's everything. But part of that segment in there is everything to do with the bus itself. So we spend time with the operators uh, showing them and educating them how to use the mobility device stations. There's two on every one of our buses. And, and at the same time, we're, we train them on how to kneel the bus, which is lowering the bus in the front end, and then also this, uh, uh, embarking the uh, lift ramp as well onto the curbside so mobility devices and people with strollers can get on the bus easier. But there was like a level of thoughtfulness that I was really impressed by, such as uh, when the bus pulled up the first time, uh, the 
the ramp was put down in just like a position that was awkward for me. And uh, he moved the entire bus just so I could get on it. That's part of our training, and, and a, a large component of, of the individuals that we're recruiting is people that have a, a good personality and strong customer service skills because we know that's half of our job is, is the customer service that we provide uh, to our customers out there. So it's not just you know uh, physically driving the bus from one stop to another. It's, it's providing good customer service to our customers. We spent time on that, so yeah. Yeah, because that was the thing. Like they were, they were incredibly respectful, and I was in a situation where I was, I was, you know, very awkward and confused, and I didn't know what I was doing. And they did a lot to sort of make the whole process go a lot more smoothly. Great to hear. Great to hear. And again, we're trying to be consistent. We, uh, just so you know, Paul, uh, we have 188 drivers, operators, and we have 121 buses. They're all low floor accessible. So we're trying to be consistent of matching all the buses and all the operators that they, for any customer at any time, they get the same performance from us. So uh, we spend uh, energy and efforts uh, in making sure our customer experience is the same regardless of which operator or which bus you get at, for that day. And I was strapped in, I think it's like a five or a six-point system with, like, straps. Um, one of the things that cropped up, uh, both buses that I took was, um, and it wasn't a problem for me, it was more for the driver, uh, was that one of the straps jammed on both buses, and it took a lot of fiddling to sort of get me locked down and into place. Um, is this strap system impacting the ability of drivers to stick to their schedules? So I'll just back up. We are we are in the process of moving to a new device, and I don't know if you saw that one out there. So there's five buses that have a different system in it, uh, the vendor or the company is called the Quantum Securement System. And what, what it has is it has a, a bar, so the operator doesn't actually have to come in and strap the mobility device in its location on the bus. This bar is on the left side of the mobility device, and the operator can engage it from his driver's seat, so it lowers and then and squeezes the mobility device to the right-hand side, and therefore there's a... Um, no interaction between the driver and the customer. So that we're testing that on five of the buses right now, and we're getting good feedback from our mobility customers. But, yes, at times with the, the current system, the bigger part of our system, is there's a straps that are, are, are needed to be um, uh, attached to the mobility device to make the proper securement. So, yes, there is some delays, but... Um, Again, we know that is part of our business, and, and, and they understand that they have to take those customers and, and secure them properly before they move on. Right. Um, with this bar system, is that something you can retrofit onto the buses we already have? It, 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 sounds, it, it seems a little bit more pricey to retrofit it after the fact. It is a possibility. Our, our, our best way to do it is from the factory. So any time that we, if we have positive feedback, which we have been, We'll be looking to engage our new uh, buses purchases that they come straight from the factory. Just as you know, like anytime you retrofit, you know anything to do with your car with a hitch or something tends to have a little bit more issues with it. So we'd rather have the factory install them right from the get go. But we can retrofit them if you know if we have more funding and and we've got positive feedback on those uh, quantum securement systems. Accessibility isn't just uh, providing service to people in wheelchairs. What are some of the other things that Regina Transit is doing to make itself more accessible to its uh, customers with uh, with mobility or vision or hearing issues? Yeah, I would I would say in the last you know year to eighteen months, we really put some more energy into 
making our fleet more accessible for everybody. So, but even before that, I'll just back up. I would say around four to five years ago, uh, we then had our entire fleet low floor accessible. So again, uh, that they can kneel down and they have the ramp. So we're one of the first properties in Western Canada to have their entire fleet low floor accessible. So again, that's great for us to have to tell our customers, it doesn't matter where you're going to be in the city on any route at any time, you're going to have that low floor accessible bus. But in the last couple of years, we spent some uh, energy to just improve some of our customer service uh, initiatives for our customers. So one of the things we did is we improved our bus uh, shelters themselves. So what we did there is we purchased bigger bus shelters. So again, the door opening bigger for scooters and strollers, but they're also uh, uh, they're wider on, on the same front. So again, they're the new style ones you'll see mostly more in the downtown or the, our higher our higher usage stops that you'll see the nicer looking, um, they're, they're five by 10 bus shelters versus the smaller brown ones that we have in service as well. So we, we got good feedback from that. And at the same time is we, uh, spent some energy getting rid of the trip hazards and the lip hazards of the concrete itself in and around the bus stop areas and the shelters. So again, as, as you know, the ground shifts and concrete moves, we got rid of those trip hazards as well and did some work on the concrete to make it a nice easier for mobility devices to get in and out of those shelters. Um, the other thing we did is we, uh, uh, we incorporated internal stop announcements. So when you're in the bus, um, there's two things that go on. There's a display board at the front of the bus that shows you uh, your next stop location that's coming uh, uh, available. So again, people that are, uh, are not comfortable with the, the bus that they're on or the route they're on, they can see display what's happening as the next stop um, the next stop that's going to be coming for them at the same time you'll hear the internal stop announcement uh, as well to announce that this intersection or this stop is going to be coming available which is the next one therefore the customer knows to ring the bell to notify the operator that they want to be off at the next stop so again that's that's that helps uh, just make make customers feel more comfortable using transit uh, that, you know, they may have some anxiety of using it, and therefore we alleviate that to know that, you know, we're there to help them to know where their next stop is. I, I, well, the other thing we did is that we also uh, created our bus stops to make them more accessible. We installed uh, bright yellow poles. So you'll see that there, we did 100 locations last year. These bright yellow poles, we were working with our low-vis uh, customer base, and they talked about the yellow pole was better for them. And at the same time, we lowered down also, our bus information lower to the ground, so it's about at the three to four foot level, and that include raised lettering, uh, braille, and then it just helps our, our customers to see and identify what bu- bus routes will come to the bus stop. So we did a hundred of those last year as well. And how's the response been among, amongst uh, users of the system? Yeah, very good, very good. So uh, uh, a little tidbit fact that you can have: um, in 2011, we had what we Scorekeep and what we monitored is we had 3,500 people with mobility device use conventional transit, and last year we were at 22,000. We had almost a five to six hundred percent increase in ridership with people with mobility uh, using conventional transit. So the two win-wins for us is we're we're given more opportunity for our customers. Some of those customers were paratransit customers, and therefore once you move to conventional transit, they have more freedom and more options to use 
the bigger system that we have and get a, get around the city more on their times and their and their requirements that they want. So it's a win-win for us moving again creating a system for people with mobility devices that they can come use the regular system. So the numbers are showing that they're using it. It's great. And that's it. That was uh that was some audio from my day of uh, being in a wheelchair, wow. taking public transit. Uh, I just, um, by the way, I don't know if you've heard the news, but they're changing the pronunciation of audio. Oh, no. It's audio. Okay. Yeah, it's apparently out, like Volkswagen and the uh, English language have entered into like a sponsorship deal. All right. Okay, so that audio, contributors yes. to that audio, uh, we heard some Councillor Fendura in there. He was mm -hmm. uh, participating in the uh, Chairleaders uh, fundraiser and has done it in the past. Uh, Brad Bells, that long interview at the end there, that was with the director of Regina Transit. I phoned oh, him up to say, okay. hey, your driver's kind of rocked, getting around on the bus, super easy, thanks a lot. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so then he... You know, was able to like fill us in on some other stuff about accessibility on transit. Also spoke at length with Kristen Drummond from Spinal Cord Injury Saskatchewan. She was fantastic and helped me sort out my steering issues. Mm. And uh, Blake LaMontagne, he's a uh, local para-athlete, and he was the keynote speaker at the event. With He had 20 minutes notice that he was going to be the keynote speaker at the uh, after-lunch wow. thing. And he's also with Spinal Cord Injury Saskatchewan. Wow. Yeah. So... Just to expound on some of the thoughts that I made, that I mentioned in there, uh, traveling by wheelchair in the city, uh, it was a hot, hot, hot day, and taking the bus was not bad. I actually quite enjoyed taking the bus, although you get up close and personal with the bus drivers mm. when they're strapping you in, and it was a hot, hot day. <laughs> um, so my apologies <laughs> to all of the bus drivers who helped me uh, on the bus. Uh, although, as uh, Brad Pels mentioned, uh, there is a new system that's coming up for buses that the uh, people who are in the chairs can actually operate themselves. It doesn't oh, nice. require six straps. Oh, that yeah. sounds good. And uh, But the other thing that happened is I went through downtown, and traveling along Victoria was miserable. It was a terrifying and awful experience to do that in a wheelchair. Oh, I can imagine. There were You would come down a curb cut that would shoot you out into the middle of the intersection, the ramp would, instead of shooting you into the crosswalk, it was aimed into the intersection, and then you would have to do like a hard left. Oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to do a hard left in your wheelchair, where you would nine times out of ten, hit a pothole. <laughs> and I would get stuck there. And as I said uh, when I was talking to uh, Blake, uh, I would have to like, you know, yank myself out by thrusting my pelvis forward, <laughs> which I know for a fact some people in wheelchairs just cannot do. Um, and right. I had some moments, and the length of time for the crosswalks was not long enough for me at times, mm -hmm. uh, and I came out of it feeling like a weak and helpless baby wow. by the end. I'm, I'm hoping you at least made some, like, busker-style coin from, like, doing pelvic thrusting dances in intersections no people just ignored me oh yeah that that whole power dynamic of sitting in a chair and talking to people that's something we should talk about at length it's uh it's very interesting how the way people talk to you changes really? when you're in a wheelchair and they're not yeah they, even though mine had a big sign on the back say i'm just doing this for a fundraiser <laughs> i'm only in it for the money <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> Anyways, um, I'm sorry, but we actually are we're like plum out of time. Yeah, really? we only got like I want, I want two to talk minutes about before. This further. Oh, well, all right. All right, that's all right. I'll yeah, be, I'll be fine. Okay. Um, but it, I'm, I'm, I just wanted to get more into that power dynamic thing. Yeah, so it was weird. So I think that yeah, if you were in a wheelchair the whole time, like you would be dealing with that every single day. Yeah, not fun. Uh, yeah, people oh. ignoring you or. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, we should probably call for an adjournment. All right, I uh, I, mo- I move to adjourn. You second that one? I'm going to second that motion. Excellent. Well, motion is passed. You have been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CGTR, Regina Community Radio. Thanks to our guest tonight, uh, Addison Doherty uh, of YMCA Regina, talking about the homelessness uh, in Regina and Pitcairn. Uh, your hosts are Paul Shen and me, Aiden Morgan. Uh, music from Guidewire, a.k.a. Brian Hill, as always. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Queen City IB or on Facebook. Just, you know, look for us there. Also on our website, queencityab.com or cjtr.ca slash podcasts or listen-live. If you want to hear us when we broadcast Thursday evenings from uh, 7 to 8 or uh, rebroadcast on Monday mornings from 9 to 10, although not next Monday morning. So, uh, anywho, coming up next we have uh, the Nerdcore Cabaret with Maddie B, followed by the cockpit, and then music. So, keep on moving, Jack.